0: Thanks for checking out another episode of Lafayette Connect. For this one, I sat down with financial advisor Brian Todd. I know finance isn't the most exciting thing to talk about ever, but especially in these crazy uncertain times, I really think it's important for everybody to really sit down and make a plan. Look at where your money's going every day. Is that money growing? Are you going to be financially okay if you have an unexpected emergency? We all know how crazy and chaotic life is. Do you have a plan to retire? Don't sit back and wait until it's too late. Brian can get your life on track and on a solid plan. At the end of the podcast, give him a call. Welcome back to another episode of Lafayette Connect. I'm sitting here with my good friend, Brian Todd. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Good, good. So Brian's a cool guy. He is actually a financial advisor. So uh, we have a lot of cool things to talk about. So uh, what is your... uh, what's your background in finance and how did you get to be a financial advisor?
1: Well, great question. And um, I, I actually studied finance at Purdue and I've been in this business my entire, my entire career. So it's, it's something I gravitated toward. Always had a uh, interest in, in how money works and everything that goes around with that. So
0: yeah, it's, it's been just a part of my life for my entire adult life. I relate to that. a lot. I have a, I've been obsessed with money since, as long as I can remember, since I was about a kid. So I get that, just being super interested in money and how it works and how there's a lot of different rules and laws to money. I just remember as a kid, I would always, uh, a real young kid, like five, six years old, I was always running around trying to do chores to get quarters mm-hmm. and uh, selling Pokemon cards. Me and my brother, we uh, went around the neighborhood, knocking on the neighborhood kid's door, selling Pokemon cards, just... To, Weird little things like that, always trying to get money, always trying to get that extra buck. I, uh, Me and my little brother, we saved up and bought ourselves the Nintendo Wii. Remember mm-hmm. when that first oh, came yeah. out? Yeah, they were $400. My parents weren't going to buy it for us. Um, so we had to actually save up and find a way in sixth grade to, to save up and buy the Wii. And me and my little brother did it through, uh, I don't even remember what we did, mowing lawns and just shoveling snow, whatever we could. It took about a year, but...
1: Yeah, I think that's great because it... It teaches, and I was the same way. I started earning money when I was, gosh, very young, probably early in my teens, and learned early on how money supports the lifestyle that we want, you know? right? And whether that's 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 true, whether you're 13 or whether you're 33 or, or or 83, that your income, the money that you earn, that really that really does support the lifestyle that you want.
0: It really depends on your mindset with it, because a lot of people look at it as money's The root of all evil. Um, They tie money with greed. But you're right. I mean, money is, I look at money as sort of a protection for your family. You know, you can't give or help others if you're broke. I Mm -hmm. mean, the more money, I look at money as a way to help people and protect yourself and the people you love. And so that's kind of my, one of the main reasons I really love money. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and isn't it true though, that anything done to excess can be bad? Whether we're talking about eating, or or even you know other other things like or drinking or or even money, you know, focusing too much on that can can be become an excess. If it's if it's driving and running and ruling your life as opposed to you
0: controlling your money and your 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 cash flow and your budget and so forth. Absolutely, absolutely. What made you want to go to school for and make that your whole career slash lifestyle?
1: I don't know that it was something that really drove me to study, you know, finance. Um, I think, and and I've got two uh, two kids that are in college right now, and thank goodness both of them know what they want to do, and they're studying what they, you know, their their passions or interests. Uh, but I think that's one of the real challenges, and and my wife and I have had this conversation about. How to how to guide you know kids young adults in into trying to find their their path in life, um, and I really just gravitated toward that over a period of time and, and I've had, I've had a number of different roles, um, in, in the area of personal finance and all that, but it's not something really that I, I sought out. It's really something over a period of time that as I learned more when and, and went through school. I said, Hey, this is, this is an area of interest for me. And that's, that's how I really gravitated toward it.
0: Yeah. Cause, uh, I don't know a lot about it, but going to school, what's it called? The CMA or? Well, there are a lot of different
1: credentials that you can earn as a, as an advisor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of different credentials and I've I could go ahead and list some of them. You know, the one one that a lot of people are familiar with is the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner. But there are also other other designations, if you will, and credentials. Uh, Charter Financial Consultant, CHFC. Um, There's CLU. Huh. So I mean, but yeah, there are a lot of different credentials and and, and areas and courses of study, depending upon the, your you know your position. Are you a a a fund? manager or are you somebody working directly with clients that really a lot of times drives what what you study
0: right and you sit with clients you people come to you and you help get their budget in track and you help them you kind of do anything and everything with their finances what exactly is that called well yeah i like to when when people ask me what i do
1: you know it's I will typically say, okay, yeah, I'm a financial advisor. And what that means is I help people plan for and prepare for any financial decision that they encounter as they walk through life. And for younger people, that might be just establishing some type of a cash flow analysis or some people call it a budget. To me, budget comes any, sometimes words come with negative connotations. And so when I think of budget, sometimes I think people think of that as being, as being restricted, kind of like the word diet. You know, instead of him, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm watching what I eat or I'm, I'm, you know, being more nutritious, you know, diet has negative connotations. The same thing, same way, the same thing is true, I think, with the word budget. So I really, again, whether it's younger people or even people that are approaching retirement, really, it's just continuing to watch what and, and analyze that cash flow and where's my money going and how do I control my money and not have my money control me?
0: That's a big one for me. Is that I, uh, I don't try to get in people's finances at all. It's definitely not my place, especially with no education in it. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do see with a lot of my friends because there is an age gap between me and you. I'm 24, and you're, I don't know how old you are. I'm, I'm I'm 57.
1: 57. Yeah. I you think know. to your to your point, there are different. There's a different focus for people in their 20s than there is for people in their fifties or sixties. And um, for sure. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. when you look at it, it's really interesting people coming out, what coming out of high school, college, whatever path people take, you know, a lot of times that focus early on is really just, I don't want to say surviving, but it's, it's really trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to really manage finances. And, you know, people are thinking about, Younger people in their 20s are thinking about, okay, when do I buy a house if that's on my radar? Um, if I'm in a relationship, are we going to start a family at some point in time? You know, getting the uh, savings or the emergency or opportunity fund started, which a lot of times is that three to six months of expenses set aside so that something happens like with COVID and you, you're furloughed or you lose your job, then you've got some type of a, a nest egg there or a safety net there. And then as people roll into their 30s, many people definitely, if they're going down this path, they definitely have started a family. So they're very focused on their family, their kids. And so they do have different financial priorities as they go through
0: life. That is true. I actually haven't haven't ever really put that to thought. But, yeah, as you go through different stages, you do, like you said, as your family grows, your priorities definitely change. I just hate... The thought of anybody, as life goes on, putting their finances on hold, and then the thought of somebody at 40, 50 years old sitting back and thinking, oh, I haven't put anything away Mm -hmm. for retirement. I don't have a game plan out. That really scares me for a lot of people. and I hope with the internet and with the COVID kind of changing everybody's mindset, I hope that's getting better at least. Yeah, I'll speak to that for just a minute because
1: I just read... Within the past week or so, uh, a very, very well-known company in in chemicals and agroscience that they they just discontinued their pension that they've they've had for generations, and so what's happened over the years really started in the '70s as it, and has gone has continued through today. More and more companies are getting out of offering that pension benefit for their employees. And what's that mean for our conversation? Well, all of that burden is now on the shoulders of us individuals, um, people out there in the workforce to plan for our retirement. Again, that's the really common topic that people, as I talk to people that they want to talk about is, hey, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm accumulating, or maybe I feel like I'm behind. I have that that conversation a lot where people say, I really feel like I'm behind, or I don't know if I'm on, if I'm on schedule or on target. But back to the point, the central point is all of that is on our shoulders now. And so the earlier that people start, the better off the outcome generally is. But that doesn't mean that people who haven't started and they're in their 40s or or approaching 50, that doesn't mean that they still can't significantly positively impact
0: what life looks like when they get to retirement. It it definitely doesn't mean that it's game over if you're in your 40s or 50s or even 60s and don't have a plan for retirement. but. You're right. I mean, the earlier you start, definitely 100 percent, the better off you'll be. Sure. So have you lived in Lafayette your whole life? I have not. I
1: was uh, early early on. I was actually born in Bloomington and my father was in, uh, in the restaurant business. And we lived in, uh, in the Bloomington area out in St. Louis. We lived in, in Plainfield near Indy, uh, moved to Lafayette when I was about first grade.
0: What did your dad do in the restaurant business?
1: Well, he ran a restaurant, and then he went into uh, food service and food sales and distribution.
0: Oh, okay. And
1: that's what brought him to Lafayette back when I was very young. And so I grew up in the Lafayette area, um, first on on Greenbush Street and then out on the east east side of town. How old were you when you moved here? Uh, Right around six years
0: old. Okay, yeah, so you pretty much as long as you remember you've been in Lafayette Yeah. and you really did grow up here that's yeah. cool yeah but
1: even in my adult life I've moved around a little bit been in uh, Fort Wayne and uh, spent some time in Columbus Ohio and uh, but yeah it, it, I, I consider Lafayette my 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 hometown
0: yeah for sure so it's, that's cool so why why would somebody need why would somebody need a financial advisor rather than kind of going through things their own way and or with the internet and everything that's out there, why would somebody need to sit down? Uh, that's kind of rude. now that I think well, No,
1: no, I think that's a good question because you know I, the straight up answer to that is it's like any other profession. Um, when you want professional guidance, I mean, certainly people can accumulate money on their own. There are all kinds of um, resources that people have online whether that's opening up their own retirement account but it really comes down to a, any any type of professional needs to add value and that's the conversation whenever i sit down with somebody new that's the first conversation that we have is okay what do you, what are you what's going through your mind you know, what are some of your concerns? It's not about me selling myself or selling the, the, the profession as a financial advisor. It's what are some of the things that you're thinking through, some of the things that you might be worried about, and helping people just kind of sift through what they're doing and, and then knowing, are they confident that they're on track? and What does on track mean? And helping people, because there's an old saying that sounds really kind of silly the first time you hear it, but there's the old phrase that people don't know what they don't know. And so when we begin to have conversations and people start to think about, okay, you're accumulating money. Let's just focus on retirement for a minute. Mm -hmm. You're accumulating money. What does that mean for you when you get to retirement? How are you going to take that as an income? Because while we're working, we're, we're, we're the ones, it's our body that's at work. Right. Yep. We use our body to to generate income. We go into the office. We go into the factory. We go into wherever that is out out in a sales environment. But then when we retire, what what are, what are our workers? It's the money that we've saved. And so as I talk to people, this is a very common topic. As I talk to people, and we have these deeper conversations, it's their conversations around. Hey, we just talked about pensions going away, oh. right? So you've accumulated that money. What are the things that people don't know? We don't know how long we're going to live. We don't know at what what the market's going to do. And so there's just a lot of uncertainty there. And that's really a lot of the value I think an advisor can provide is certainly helping people accumulate money, but then also understanding how to effectively, efficiently take, take an income and not run that risk of running out of money.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> I've always been told... Pretty much not to trust pensions, and that they're going away. And like you said, um, they were really popular in the '70s and '80s, and now it's more, it's more 401ks and Roth IRAs and all that. Sure, good stuff.
1: Well, if if for first, let's start with what is a pension? Mm-hmm. Um, a pension really is a um, a benefit that's provided by a an employer, and it's. It articulates, that pension plan articulates a certain retirement value that you as a worker will get, assuming that you continue to work for for X number of years, assuming a certain income level. And it really is, I'll use the word guaranteed. Um, Certainly there are pension funds that are underfunded and that are at risk right now. There are also government entities, uh, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp, that back up these pensions as well. Um, we're getting a little bit deep on this, but they're really, the, the whole point of a pension, when you think, they're very, think about social security. Social yeah. security, there's a formula that says, if you work X number of years, if you will, quarters really, but X number of years, and you earn X number amount, it, that benefit is based upon your earnings and how many years that you work and all these different variables and factors. Pension really works yeah. the same way in the sense that it provides an income floor. When you get to retirement, Based upon that date or that age, you retire. Based upon your earnings, whatever the plan looks like that that company has put into place. So it really is a guaranteed income when you get to retirement.
0: Okay, that makes sense. I don't know, just personally, I uh, I try to go with not relying on any money from anybody else other than what I know is coming through. So, um, well, and that is a big that is a common topic of conversation as I sit down with people,
1: especially younger people. The feeling is, hey, yeah, let's, let's not make any assumptions that Social Security is going to be there for me. Let's make assumptions and look at strategies that are solely based upon my efforts of saving
0: and the different strategies we can come up with too. That's how I like to look yeah. at Yeah. I like to look at it that by the time I'm old enough to retire, I'm going to have so many houses and rentals and right. you know, money coming in that I don't have to worry about someone signing the check for me. But that's not the way it goes for most people, no.
1: Well, I, I think just life
0: has changed in general.
1: I mean, my I look back to my he, my father passed a couple of years ago, and he had a pension when he retired. It wasn't uh, his primary source of retirement income, but his father, uh, our, our grandparents you know, were accustomed to having. There they were essentially, in, in, in my line of work, we called it the three-legged stool,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, three sources of income for retirees, Social Security. A pension and also personal savings, so people knew what they were going to have when they got to retirement in terms of an, in- of an income. We also, a lot for a long number of years, we have called that mailbox money because you know in the old days people would go to the mailbox they get their check that arrived in the mail. Now it's now it's automatically deposited, and so they knew on a monthly basis what their income was going to be, and then any additional um, savings that they could um, that they could generate during their working years that was just icing on the cake for them it was very easy for them to know, hey, this is my benefit that I'm, that I'm going to have when I retire. That's not the case today. And that's why it's important really to, to plan properly. And I would also add another reason going back to your question. Why would somebody work with a financial advisor to really get that guidance of, okay, help me see the path that I'm
0: on? Oh, yeah, 100%. Whether it be reaching out, reading books, going online or talk to a financial advisor, you need someone to help drive that wheel. Nobody knows everything and there is different laws and rules to money. And, you know, you have to know, you have to have a professional helping. so I get it. Um, how does a financial advisor get paid? Oh, great question. There are different
1: models, different ways that people work. And really, I'll, I I boil it down to one end of the spectrum, to the other, and then a hybrid. Mm-hmm. One end of the spectrum is much like what you might think about how an attorney might get paid. Somebody that does a fee for service. For example, if you go to an attorney and you say, "Okay, um, I have a young family. I, I need to. I need you to drop wills, maybe establish a trust." I don't want to get too deep on that conversation, yeah. but what that attorney is going to do is they're going to charge you a certain amount, and it might be X, hundred of, X hundreds of dollars to do specific documents. So there are financial advisors or financial planners that work much the same way. They'll, they'll sit down and have conversation and figure out what your goals and objectives are, and then write up and put together a financial plan for you, get it a nice binder, hand it to you, and say, okay, here are the things we talked about. Here are the different risks or, or issues to address. Here are our recommendations, and then put that in your hands. The piece that's missing there is the is the implementation. You know, they leave the implementation up to you, but they just direct you. Generally speaking, right. The other side of that that spectrum is somebody that is a commission based advisor, and that person might get compensated completely on the the. Um, The products that they sell or or what have you then in between that is what I uh, what I've heard so many people call a fee-based Advisor and it's really a combination of the two they might they might get fee income um, they might get fees from investments like a uh, a 1% fee on managed assets, but then they also as they're working with people um, they might uncover, hey, a specific need for something like a, a protection product, like maybe life insurance, disability income insurance, or something like that, where those products are generally sold and, and the compensation paid as a commission. So you
0: can get paid in lots of different ways. Then. What's the most common one? Uh, in, in, my,
1: in my world, it's, it's fee-based. Oh, uh, okay. That's how I work. I'm, I'm a fiduciary. Which means every conversation I have, this I've chosen to be licensed this way and operate this way. Every conversation I have with people is based on their best interest. And there are times where there's a product that's sold, that there is a commission there. Um, it's as a result of ongoing conversations that I have with people that where we start with that conversation of, okay, what are you thinking through? Or what are some of the different concerns that you have? And then helping them map out what's what are the best, what are the different strategies that are options? And what's best? Based upon their individual situation,
0: that's got to feel like hitting a home run when you uh, when they come to you with this mess of finances and you kind of straighten it all out for them. I'm sure you've seen you've changed people's lives. I mean, getting all their stuff straightened out. And I like to
1: think so, and I feel I've, you're right. I feel really good about it when when I work with someone and and maybe they think that they're in really bad shape, and through the conversations that we have. They walk away feeling really good about where they are, and I have to tell you that that early on in my career, that was also one of the things that really emphasized or reinforced the profession I'm in. My wife and I um, had sat down. We we'd all, we always had the products in place, you know, the life insurance, the mutual funds, the oh, investment yeah, sure. products, and all that. Um, Once we sat down and went through everything, talked to an attorney, we had had the wills drawn up, we had young kids at the time, and, and, and we walked away from the conversation knowing, you know what? No matter what happens to us, we're good. Whether we get what we want and we have nice, healthy, long lives... Or if something happens next week or next month, if we're on that, that plane that goes down, our kids are going to be taken care of. My wife is going to be taken care of. We're both going to be taken care of no matter no matter what circumstances life throws our way. So, yeah, it is a
0: really gratifying. It's a game changer. It's yeah. pretty powerful. Yes. I mean, just knowing that having a plan and having all your ducks in a row like that, it, is, it changes your whole outlook yeah. on life. Um, so it's cool that you get to do that for other people for a living. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty cool. Do you believe anyone and everyone can be a millionaire if you uh, try hard enough, invest right, start young enough? Um, very good question.
1: And to me, the short answer is yes. I think people can, can accomplish anything that they want. So given – I think you've, you've touched on it a few different times, starting early. You don't have – look, there's a book that's been out for a number of years called The Millionaire Next Door. Oh, I I've heard of that one. Yeah, you'll have to read that. And I, I don't, this is not a plug for the book. I read it many years ago, and it really highlighted how many millionaires, people don't even know they're living next door to them
0: mm-hmm. because
1: they live life modestly. And again, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier. They owned and controlled their money. They didn't let their money control them. In other words, they started early with a you know ha- having a nice savings program. I don't want to make comments that might judge people. So, you know, it doesn't. it's not always around don't buy a new car, don't do this, don't restrict yourself, but but being wise about it. Um, so, yeah, I, I firmly believe that based upon, you know, the, it's, it really comes down to the choices that we make in life.
0: Yeah, I uh, have you ever heard of Chris Hogan? He's one of Dave Ramsey's dudes that goes that. Chris Hogan did the, uh, he went around and he interviewed 10,000 millionaires and then he did a... A survey pretty much and got a bunch of weird little facts like the 80 percent had a college degree which i thought that was backwards i've always thought that most millionaires didn't go to college you know less than one percent of millionaires won the lottery and like 75 percent of it did it just from doing the 401k so I, I always thought that was pretty weird that's a pretty good book though it's called everyday millionaire and it talks about a lot of the same things like you can see a millionaire walking down the street and not even know it i mean they're they're out there. They're everywhere. Even in Lafayette, we have a lot of millionaires yeah. in Lafayette. So yeah, exactly um, right. But I agree. I think anybody can if you if you play your cards right. But.
1: And I think the key, like we've talked about, the key is is starting early and being smart about analyzing your cash flow. And we haven't really talked about that. You know, what, what as I sit down with people, whether they're younger people or people that are older that really haven't gone through that cash flow analysis. If they don't have a program that they're following, and there are popular financial entertainers out there, financial people in the in the public eye, if, if if they don't have a program that they're following, it really it really can be as as straightforward. I don't want to say simple, but as straightforward as analyzing your cash flow, the money that you have coming in, and then beginning to say, okay, what what? Just setting out your priorities. You know, you're going to have to give X amount back to the government, not back, but set aside X amount for the government. And then based upon your priorities, if you're a spiritual person, setting aside that 10% for tithing, setting aside 15% or whatever that amount for, for a savings plan for years down the road for retirement, and then beginning to look at what's left. There's a very popular, right now is a popular guy that, um, he is former Navy SEAL. He's out on the this public speaking circuit. He has books that he's written. What's
0: uh, his name?
1: His name is Jocko Williams. I knew it was going to be Jocko. Yep. I knew. it And was I, I well, I love his. Um, I love his his approach to this, and his approach not to this, to but not to money, but to life in general. And it's, it's discipline equals freedom. Yeah. And and my my uh, the message in tying that back to financial concerns is. If you're disciplined about your cash flow, and again, don't think in terms of being restrictive, but set your priorities, be disciplined about that so that you own your money and it doesn't own you, and then being able to figure out, okay, do I want to buy that new car or that newer used car? Do I want to go on that vacation to the beach or or overseas or you know, whatever that looks like, then you can you have a lot more freedom to do things. And not feel like that, that your money is owning you and that you're living paycheck to paycheck.
0: There's a true power in uh, living below your means. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've found that personally. If you look at me and my finances now um, compared to when I lived in my junkie apartment, didn't have a car payment, had roommates. I was living like a king in those days compared to now where I have the nicer apartment, the nicer car. Um, it's just me and my girlfriend and we're happy. We're happy with that. But yeah. I think about it all the time. Like, man, if I even realized how good I had it at that point, I could have stacked back some serious money then. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Well, you know, and on that topic, we,
1: in our firm, we joke because this comes up from time to time, but there's an old Chinese proverb
0: mm-hmm. that
1: talks about the two best times to plant a tree. Well, the best time was 20 years ago. The second best time is today, Right. So you can't go back, and you can't plant that tree twenty years ago. You can only I like deal with, that. That's a good yeah. You can only deal with today, and it doesn't matter. And that applies to people whether they're twenty four or whether they're forty four. You know, don't don't obsess over what you haven't done. Look at what are the things that you can control going forward.
0: Oh, absolutely. So I hear with the younger generation, my generation, a lot. I hear the term "you only live once." Um, you can't take your money with you when you die. And I see a lot of people my age, and every age really, but a lot of people like to blow money and spend it how they want, just to have a good time. And I get that too, to each their own. But like I said, I what is your advice? And I'm sure you've seen tons of people that are like that, where you sit down with them, you're going over where their money goes, and you see you see them wasting it, but they don't want to stop wasting it. What do you do to, to help them out or what Well it all comes down to
1: you know, where their heart is. And I say that, and what I mean by that is, you know, people have got, whether it's, whether it's people who are, you know, engaged in bad habits, whether that has to do with alcohol or tobacco or, or their spending habits or what have you, people have got to first, they've got to want to change and feel like, okay, what I'm doing isn't the right thing. And then, and then you can begin to help people and help people work through, okay, how do, how, what does change look like? And again, not thinking about change in a restrictive way, but looking at it in a positive way. Okay, here's where you are, and where is it that you want to
0: be? Do you uh, do you push people a lot? Like, do you look at them and say, "Hey, dude, you spent three hundred dollars in cigarettes," or do you uh, kind of to each their own? Let them if if. Like you said, you can't change them. You can bring a horse to the lake, but you can't make him drink it. Whatever that well, saying is. Yeah, you lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Yeah. Let
1: me address that in a larger context. Um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't make judgments on people because why do we earn an income? We earn an income for enjoyment, right? And so I'm going to set aside the the specifics of your question on the on you know purchasing tobacco items or what have you, uh, and not make a judgment on that. Really, how? How I approach that with people is really just to sit down and help them identify what is it that they want to accomplish and how can I help them get there. Does that does that help? your question? Yeah, that makes, makes sense, yeah. yeah. So it's not at all sitting in judgment or telling them that they have to do something. It's really just help them filter through, hey, here are the things that I want to see happen over the next 5, 10, 30 years, and then helping them figure out what's the best way to, to get there.
0: Do you help people with, like, running their businesses and stuff too?
1: Well, running their businesses is a big question. Uh, Certainly, I do have conversations with people about how to do specific things inside their businesses, like how to retain employees, um, different types of packages that they can can offer so that they can make it attractive for employees to work there, Um, ongoing business concerns like, hey, okay, I don't know that I want to do this, for the rest of my life. So what's an exit strategy look like? And who are the people on the team that I should have? Different advisors, think about attorneys, accountants, et cetera, to help help filter through and and make decisions on what that looks like. If I want to have an exit strategy, what does that look like? So not necessarily from the day-to-day operations, but yeah, I do have conversations with people about, hey, here are the concerns I have with my business. Not so much being a tax advisor, because I don't provide tax advice, but helping them, again, filter through and figure out what are some of the concerns that they have. And then also, what are the right questions to ask my CPA or my attorney about the way my business is structured? How I'm getting taking an income from my business? Is that
0: the best way? Cool, yeah. So you really have to have a, a whole team with you, too. Mm-hmm. I did realize that. Um, well, a lot of times the key with anybody is figuring
1: out and it's common for me to sit down with people and they say, you know what, I've already got financial advisors or I've already got people I'm working with. And I will say this and and I hope this is not at all. I'm not an arrogant person, but I've yet to find somebody that I can't help, that I cannot add value.
0: Well, I believe that for sure. I mean, you have that. – it's been your whole life. Yeah. I mean, just well, – why? I, I was happy to just have one conversation with you. <laughs> I mean – like I said before, having a professional giving you advice is not typically a bad thing. Usually, so mm-hmm. um, have there been a lot of people that weren't happy with you, or said that? Uh, well, let me let me let me answer
1: that in a different way. I there are a lot of people that I sit down with, and then we never go forward. And that, I can see that. Same thing with
0: real estate agents. I mean, oh no it, doubt. It's just something that happens. Yeah. It,
1: you know, and and that sometimes that's my fault because I didn't make a connection with them
0: and sometimes it's just
1: that it's not good timing, and sometimes, candidly, there are people that have a lot of stuff going on, and they're embarrassed. Maybe they've got a lot more debt that they want to admit to, and and so their, their finances are, are controlling them. So, yeah, there, there are any number of, of reasons why, as I sit down with people, that we might not move forward.
0: People are stubborn, too. Like, for me, personally, I... Uh... I'm a stubborn 24-year-old. I feel like I know what I'm doing with my money. Before this, I never would have thought to go seek out financial advice. So, um, so do you have to market yourself a lot too or not really? Or do people kind of flow in? Oh,
1: it's not. I wish it was that simple that people uh, were knocking down my door, beating down <laughs> my door. But no, I I, i am in a growth mode. Uh, I'm constantly building my practice. And I really do that through just word of mouth and the uh, the – active goodwill of satisfied people that I've helped. You know, as, as I have conversations with people, as I help people implement strategies, it's common for, for me to sit down and have conversation with them and they say, yeah, I've been thinking about who else can I introduce you to?
0: Ah, oh, cool. And yeah. so that's
1: really my main method of securing new clients, if you will, or, or new
0: people that I work with. And that's simply by introduction. That's I'm going to say. I bet you're out there changing lives. I mean, I'm sure you do have a lot of people that are pretty embarrassed to come up to because that's just got to be a hard thing for someone to do, to go up to another person and say, here's my entire life. And finances. This is the mess that I've made. How do I clean it up? And I mean,
1: it's and it's not always that. Yeah, I'll admit that there are people who are, um, are, who are really feel like that they're in trouble and they really they're like, okay, I need help with this. I'm, I can't. I haven't figured this out on my own. I need help with this. It's not. That's not always the case. And and um, is that when, mostly
0: the case though? Do you get a lot of uh, panic? That's kind of how I picture it in my head. Well, people-
1: I'll, I'll I'll go back to, yeah, I'll go back to. I'm trying to think of how you put it just a few minutes ago. About about changing lives, it doesn't have to be so something so earth-shattering as people were headed in one direction, and then working with me, they they did a 180, and they were headed in a completely different direction. It can be something as simple as, um, well, I I helped some people. You know, and this might sound silly. I helped some people just place some life insurance, and and they were like, you know, I really feel like now if something happened. My family's taken care of.
0: Life insurance is so huge for yeah. for any age, and it's something that a lot of people wait the last minute to do. But I mean, that's a big reality: is nobody knows how long we're here. I mean, and that's true. And and you know, it's not
1: the most pleasant thing to think about. Yeah, it's definitely not. And then, two people, you know, it's a, it's an expense, something that they that they feel like that they're not going to benefit while they're walking God's green earth. Right.
0: And <laughs> the truth is, is you're
1: we're not going to live forever. Well, and, but but again, back to your point, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but um, it is an important part, and I consider it the the foundation of any good solid financial plan or financial strategy. Is you you know you think about it if you're if you're in commercial real estate, you build that building, and then before you ever put any type of equipment in there, what do you do? You put locks on the doors, and you protect that equipment. Because that equipment is what generates an income for your business, and I think the comparison holds pretty strong too. With, with you as a earner, you know you are that value in, in that paycheck. Again, we had this conversation earlier on during your working years. Your body is earning that income. Whereas if that body isn't there, that income stream stops unless there are royalties or something like that. Yep. different conversation there, but um, but yeah, and that's that's why you pe- that's why you want to have that foundational protection
0: in place so do you tell people to avoid the stock market or do you are you a big fan of the stock market at all or especially with everything now everything is so up and down and up and down
1: yeah a big big part of what i do is helping people manage assets for retirement so again thinking about i'll go back to i help people plan for and make financial decisions all throughout life and and so whether that's helping them figure out rent versus buy. Should I have a 15 or 30 year mortgage? Should I buy additional life insurance? Should I invest in the stock market or should I invest in some manner? That last part, I do spend a lot of time with people and I have a, have a, a number of clients in which I do help them manage retirement assets. So no, I don't look at the stock market as a bad thing. I look at it as a, as a tool to, uh, to helping people gain wealth, but doing it, doing it in, a, in an efficient manner in a manner that matches them, their willingness to take on and accept risk, and also helping them match them with the right strategies that, that limit that risk.
0: I like the stock market a lot, too. I uh, I day-traded for a long time, a couple yeah. of years ago. Um, I day-traded a lot until about COVID hit, and I haven't bought much since then. So where do you think things are going, then, with COVID, the U.S. dollar, cryptocurrency? What's a... Uh, where do you see this path, this crazy train going?
1: Yeah, there's some
0: really interesting
1: conversations surrounding all that. As I said, that's kind of like five big things. Yeah. <laughs> <about>. <laughs> well, let's talk first on on, on crypto. I, I I keep up with what's going on with mm-hmm. that topic. I approach it very cautiously because there are a lot of there, there are a lot of social and political implications there, economical implications there. My biggest concern is that, that what's the underlying value for cryptocurrency, right. right? So I want to stay away from that because there's so many so many things surrounding crypto in the, the the different areas that I just mentioned. That it's something that as an advisor you need to be aware of what's going on with that. But it's not something that's a part of my practice or the conversations that I have with clients unless they want to learn more about it and then find ways to help them really learn more about it but not be an advisor to them.
0: So do you know about the one everyone's talking about, the Doji coin? Have you heard of that one? I have heard of it. Yeah, that is the craziest. So I my biggest thing is I don't put a penny. I don't invest in anything I don't understand. Yeah. And that's kind of how I looked at Bitcoin. That's kind of how I just have a certain rule of stuff before I buy something I got to know about it, I got to know where it's going, I got to have a plan. Um, well uh If then. you follow that, you'll be well served. Yeah, that, and I usually am. I like I said I day traded for a long time and I would do more riskier moves, but as long as I stuck to my structure, then typically it worked out for me. I only I would win a lot more than I would lose. Well, what this reminds what this conversation reminds me of is
1: and, uh, you know, you you are too young to remember this, but you probably certainly heard about it, the dot-com bust or the bubble. I was too young for that. Yeah, because yeah. it was like 99, I was 2000, 2000 I was four years old, yeah. And what was really hot at that time, of course, the Internet was very young. And so you had all these um, Internet companies that were issuing stock and people were investing in it. And the question kept coming back to that should the people should have been asking was, okay, what's the underlying value here? Look at the fundamentals. What, what are earnings or revenue? You know, what's, what's the value of long-term value of, of that, that particular stock or that company. And for a lot of those companies, it just wasn't there. There wasn't any sustainable revenue. So my same approach applies with crypto and that's okay. What's, what's the long-term value there? What's, and and right now, I, you know, I, of course, like I said, I don't advise people on in, on individual securities like that, or opportunities. It's to me, it's more of a broader wealth building strategy, and not so much on looking at different at, at particular companies. Um, it's, I, I hope that makes sense. I'll just I'll just leave it yeah. at that. But on, on the on the topic of crypto,
0: well, I'm with you. And with that Doj coin this is this is what really kind of opened my eyes to cryptocurrency and how how insane it really is so the internet's exploding over this dogecoin it's a penny stock it's only at 20 cents at this point yeah. and it's shooting up three four hundred percent a day and uh i mean it goes against everything all of my five rules that should i buy this stock it was like no on all of them but i mean it was going up 400 percent. i don't like pump and dumps where they shoot up and then tank down <laughs> Well, let me say on on that topic, I look at that
1: as very similar to people who want to invest in in real estate or any other type of what I'll call a boutique type of investment. If you take care of the the basics first, the fundamentals first, and that's having a good wealth building strategy to take care of your retirement, I look at at it like anything else. Then once you, going back to our cash flow conversation, once you have taken care of, um, you know, your priorities, investing for your future in a in a very sound financial strategy. Then if you've got additional dollars and additional opportunities, whether that's investing in a cryptocurrency or putting money into that, or going to Vegas. It to me, it's not this I'm not equating the two, but it's it's like
0: do we want to call it play money? It's like you've already got I see exactly yeah. what you are saying. Yeah, and it and for mine it was it was kind of play money. What I do is every paycheck that I get Ten percent of it goes to investing of some yeah. sort. So it is play money, but it's also money that I'm trying to get money back out of in return. But anyway, I uh, I bought this Doge coin, and I made decent money. And I think I made about three hundred bucks, and then I started reading into what it was, and it's a a completely made up cryptocurrency. Doge coin. Have you ever seen that? You know what a meme is. Mm-hmm. Do- Doge coin. Is the dog that everyone calls like a doggo. I don't yeah. really understand the internet, but um, but that's how it started and it's just something that Elon Musk was tweeting about, and that's how it kind of got its name. And yeah. I was just like, So this is just some joke. I mean, it made me three hundred bucks, but after reading about it, I was like, I gotta get out of that. I said, like, This is literally nothing. I just I think it's they, not a company. It's I just, think they've made movies about about things like that. Oh, I mean. I'm sure, yeah. It's <laughs> But once I read that, and I was like, "Oh, Dogecoin," and I, it kind of clicked in my head, and I said, "This is literally just an internet joke." I right. mean, that millions of people are involved in now. I mean, it's just nuts. Right. So, uh, yeah. But I don't know whatever happened. I stopped following it, but uh, I made my money and failed on it. Yeah. So, but I, I'm I don't understand enough about it, and I think I think you're right. It probably is a lot like that dot com. First, whether yeah. you hear different websites, is kind of probably a lot like hearing different cryptocurrencies, and no one, no one's got that crystal ball. But yeah, well, on
1: that topic, and then want we'll, to we'll address some of the other things you asked. Again, I think it comes down to take care of the fundamentals first, and then if you if you want to experiment with things like that in in the investing space, then yeah, I mean, as long as you understand what you're getting into. You also asked about the dollar, the strength of the dollar. I hear a lot of questions or questions or conversation we could have related to the economy, you know, political climate and all that. I don't want to get political in the sense of political parties, but when you stop and think about, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty from a tax standpoint. What what are what are individual tax rates going to be going forward? We're in a fairly low tax environment today from a marginal tax rate than as you look back at history. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty what's gonna happen in that regard. Uh, also, when you look at economic powers like specifically China, what are the implications with where we are in trading with them? Uh, how strong will the dollar be? There are also concerns about inflation and I know um, Janet Yellen just came out recently saying, hey, we, we feel like that it's a very low risk and that it's a very manageable risk. Well, I hope she's right. Yeah, um, I don't but, know. but again, we're in such a low interest rate environment. Traditionally, the Fed has used interest rates to adjust or they've adjusted interest rates to control inflation. And we really were in such low interest rate environment today that we're, we're, I question what, how much, how much play is in the levers? How much, how much can they make adjustments? It's already about as low as it can
0: get, right? Well, no one's seen it this
1: low before. Well, that's true, but I, I, I this blows my mind. Two years ago, nobody would have ever thought about the concept of negative interest rates. Yeah, but we're, but we're there. We have countries that have issued debt at negative interest rates. Do you, now stop and think about what that means. I, I, I it doesn't
0: make any sense to me.
1: Yeah, I, I so I'm gonna I'm going to borrow money. And in traditional positive interest rates, I pay an interest rate. So if that's one percent, I, I I borrow a hundred dollars, and then every year, if it's one percent, I pay you a dollar if you if I borrow it from you. If it's a negative interest rate, that cash flow works the other way. Jordan, think about that.
0: I borrow a hundred dollars from you and you pay me a dollar? Why would you do that? Is that called negative amortization? amortization? No, that's that's a different but it's kind of yeah, the same concept, right? Yeah.
1: I, I like to just yes, I, I well possibly, you know, amortization. We could get into a different conversation. Um, but I see what you're saying. Yeah, I was
0: just I was just wondering if that was what that was called it,
1: it really just to, in just keeping it simple. It is borrowing money and people paying you to loan you money.
0: Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. So think about That's
1: that in it. terms of it, put it in simple terms again. And although I think we've done that. If you if you borrow money for a house for mortgage, borrow $100,000 with a negative interest rate, a lender is going to pay you to take that mortgage out with them. And that's where we are in, in economics today. And so when you factor all these things in and the fact also that we have issued so much debt and gone into such debt that if a, a, a really small increase in, in the federal, in the Fed rate and in interest rates, can have a significant impact on on our federal budget and being able to meet our, our obligations. So there's just a lot of things at play
0: here. And I don't want to sound doom and gloom. It's just a
1: really like strange it's, environment. It's where that we're, we're at. at. Yeah. yeah.
0: So what, uh, how long do you think we have before things start getting weird? Then? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I think you're the real... The real issue there is the definition of getting weird. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, things are already pretty weird right now. <laughs> and, and I was going to say, if you talk to a lot of people, they'd say, well, these are really strange times that we're, that we're in. And they are. You think about, it was a year ago, as we sit here and record this, it was a little over a year ago that we went into COVID. and uh,
0: Almost exactly a year ago. Yeah. Tomorrow, a year ago tomorrow was the day they shut down all the restaurants. Yeah. And that was kind of the very beginning of, restaurants were the first things to close. So,
1: And, and you know i've heard i don't know if you've heard the term black swan events but a black mm-hmm. swan is so rare that nobody you know the people don't think about a particular event and that's and so my point is if you were to go back to christmas of 2019 would you have ever thought just a few months short months or actually less than a few months later that we would have been in that type of a situation
0: i oh, don't know i always i always like to think what if 2019 me <laughs> just got suddenly transported one year into the future, and if I just just from walking around the mall or whatnot and seeing everyone wearing masks and stuff, that would be so mind blowing. Like, what? What happened? Why is everyone wearing masks? Why is everything shut down? I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad things are opening back up. But. I
1: you spent you mentioned memes earlier. I saw a uh, a picture on Twitter. I think it was early this morning. Might have been late last night, and it was a picture of of a of a of a kid coming out of high school and he was making a prediction for 2020. And he said, by 2020, everyone will get along and all diseases will be cured. <laughs> and it's kind of like, it, it's of like, uh, you know, sorry for posting that. Sorry for, <laughs> for stating that, but it was really kind of funny that
0: nobody expected this. No, nobody. I think we're, we're handling it. All right. I mean, Lafayette's such a strong economy. Yeah. I mean, we didn't get shut down like California did. So that, that surely well, helped. I, I you know we and we talked about this before that I, I, I agree
1: with you I think lafayette is in, in a really good spot and we've talked about the strong real estate prices and the real strong real estate market and, and and the benefit of having a strong organization or strong university like Purdue and as well as a good manufacturing base the different companies that that are here and the growth that, that the lafayette area has has experienced is, it's really put put the the region here in a very good place
0: it's nuts. Ironically. Lafayette's officially on the map i mean yeah. it's our real estate market is beyond insane right now yeah. i mean the amount of people flooding into lafayette year after year it's a, uh, it's weird do you think we could be headed to the greatest depression we've ever seen I, i'm kind of on the fence on that yeah. that's kind of where i thought we were all the 2020 I don't know.
1: Again, that to me, I, I like to stay away from doom and gloom, and I can't. I, I know you know this, but I can't predict. Um, are there reasons to be for, for concern for the for the rational human being? I, there's no doubt. Um, I, I you know you, you raise a good question and one that I don't know, and I yeah I struggle with.
0: It's what, possible. It's definitely possible. Anything I hear people possible. saying it left and right. So, but I I like to think positive, and I. I kind of like to ride on the fact that Lafayette is so strong and that we've been lucky enough so far. Maybe, hopefully, we just continue to be lucky and yeah. get through it. I mean, we, we are getting through it. So, Well, on that topic, I would say, you know, there's
1: certain things, as we've talked before, there are certain things within your control and that are outside of your control. And if you focus on the things that you can control and do those things well, all those other things that are outside
0: of your control. You just got to take every punch as it comes. Yeah, I mean, you can't. Like you said, you can't worry too much about things you can't control because there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> so, except for sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of uh, things to think about, aren't there? Yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot a lot more than I thought. And this is what makes it really fun.
1: I shouldn't use the word fun, but it is fun and enjoyable to work with people and talk with people and help them work through Gosh, I didn't think about that particular detail or this yeah. particular detail. We'll
0: have to do one with me and you sometime soon. Okay. Um, are you in Lafayette a lot? Oh yeah. Yeah, we'll have to sit down and I'll, I'll show you what I got because. Okay. I'm all for it, man. I'm all for getting advice and seeing what the next step is. I yeah. Uh, you know, I still have a lot of questions. I gotta, I gotta get my stuff straightened out too.
1: Cause think about how life has changed over the last five years. I mean, just in the past five years, it's gotten so weird as an old guy. That's easy for me to say, because I, I mean, I've got a longer memory, you know, of of what life is like. Um, We, we have these conversations during, in our firm during the week, we have different training sessions regularly scheduled for, because we've got brand new advisors. We've got young advisors. We've got people that have been in the business for, you know, a number of years like me. So we've got people that are all over, but we have all these interesting conversations about, not just the economy, but specifically economy—how uh, things have changed from, you know, the inflation, stagflation, and misery index of the 1970s, which means something totally different than what we've ever even talked about today, through you know the the, the dot com bubble and through just the last ten years, which has been unprecedented for the stock market. Um, so all these different things that we've lived through—that it's just so weird now you so unu- not weird but unusual in that there are things that in the economy that other ways for
0: people to earn money that didn't exist five. I don't think years. DoorDash was a thing five years ago. Yeah, but just an app on your phone that you can pull out, logged on, and okay, I'm employed now. It's a cool time to be alive. I, I think but I think it opens up new
1: opportunities for people to get additional additional money. You, you know. know.
0: So a lot of different opportunities for people that want to do it Yeah, in mean, some type of profession like that. Well, so, uh, we can go ahead and do the closing here just so we can stop. Yeah. I'm all for still talking. And <laughs> you're an interesting guy. But thank you, Brian. Um, I really appreciate the time we had together. It was a, it was a good time. I learned a lot for sure. I,
1: I enjoyed it immensely. I appreciate you having me.
0: Yep, absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. So there you have it, folks was Brian Todd, financial advisor. I had a great time meeting him. He's an awesome guy. His information to get a hold of them is in the bio. Times are tough right now, and no one knows where this economy is headed. So get your money on track. Call Brian, get out of debt, stack your money up, and then give me a call so you can get started in Lafayette's insane real estate market. Thank you again, everybody, and have a great and safe day.